Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. As we call each other to rise up and to praise the Lord together, we also remember that we have done poorly at this, and God calls us to confess our sins. We're looking at eldership today in the message, so I'm taking a couple of verses from Leviticus 19, Jeremiah 6, uh, to consider elders. Leviticus 19, you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man, and fear your God, I am the Lord. And Jeremiah 16, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Thus far the reading of God's word. So God does call us to honor our elders, Uh, not just officers in the church, but those older than us. They have seen more, they tend to have more wisdom. And this is convicting. I've seen a lot lately, 30-year-olds online tending to look down on boomers for messing life up for them. Or those living in our country now tending to deride our founders for basing our nation on slavery and other faults. Teenagers tend to see only the faults in their parents and not honor them for all they have done well. Let us be instead a people that respects what Chesterton called the democracy of the dead, the traditions of our forebears. We are not hidebound to that. They certainly did make some mistakes. But God's people have been thinking, like you have, for thousands of years about how to live the most godly life possible. And their thoughts and their attempts should be a significant factor as we discern how to apply God's will to our lives. This reminds us of likely do a sermon series straight through Titus for the next uh, four or five weeks. Titus chapter 1. Quite a bit of overlap here with 1 Timothy, which we already read. Once again, hear God's infallible word. Titus 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, And appoint elders in every city, as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, 
a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Well, we're continuing in this uh, mega series, you could say, looking first uh, this past summer at what we need to believe, and now also looking at uh, what we need to do, how do we need to live as God's people. So here we have uh, elders. Uh, When we think about life in the church, one essential piece of that is to have elders in each church of good character who can know and teach the Christian faith. That's the basic idea in these verses. So we have a greeting first there in the first four verses, and then the basic command that Paul gives to Titus, which is in verse 5, appoint elders. Just in case you forgot, Titus, I left you in Crete to do one job. You have one job uh, to set set in order things lacking, appoint elders. And then the rest of the the text there, verses 6 through 9, their qualifications. So uh, I I consider this an expository message, but I'm not going to exposit every word and phrase either. So I'll be uh, skipping a few verses, a few phrases, so just be ready for that. This uh, opening greeting is uh, typical of Paul. Uh, He names himself first and then identifies himself, which is often packed with theology, as this one is. He typically says he's a bond servant, a slave, a servant of God, an apostle. Uh, He speaks of hope of eternal life in verse 2, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. That's a a bit unusual for the greeting, but but Paul will add in unique things now and then. And and here you have hope of eternal life. Uh, Might be a clue as to what uh, those in Crete needed to hear as far as the gospel. Not really sure. Uh, Verse 3, God has in due time manifested his word through preaching which was committed to me. So here Paul is uh, making uh, clear that his gift, his task, his mission is mainly preaching the gospel uh, to unbelievers, to Gentiles in new places. He says that elsewhere too. Uh, This fits right in with the Great Commission, right? Jesus says, tells his apostles to make disciples, to teach them everything I commanded you. Uh, That's the idea. Elders uh, continue that uh, commission uh, of teaching the uh, the gospel and teaching the body of doctrine. The original apostles wrote it down uh, so we have a fixed word to go by that all of us can read. But the intent is also that we preach that word, hear it explained regularly. That's how the gospel spreads. Uh, Paul says this also in Romans 14, I think it is. How will they have faith without a preacher, without someone telling them what to believe? We have to tell people about Jesus. Uh, Parents, we can all do this with our own children, but God wants those in the church who are best qualified to also do this in the church. So even right there in the greeting, Paul's getting at the the elder idea, I think, talking about uh, God's design of, of preaching. Uh, showing his word that way. Uh, Verse 4 is near and dear to my heart. Uh, To Titus, a true son in our common faith. There's an awful lot wrapped up in that, mostly history uh, about Titus and Timothy too. 
Uh, Titus is a Gentile. Uh, in Galatians 2, 3, we see that Paul t- took Titus uh, to Jerusalem, and the Judaizers wanted to have Titus circumcised because he was a Gentile. But Paul argued against it, and the, the apostles in Jerusalem did not make Titus be circumcised. Not a requirement. Uh, and that uh, established Paul's uh, ministry to the Gentiles. Titus is a Gentile. And like Timothy, it's very likely that his father was not a believer. Uh, Timothy probably had this worse socially. Timothy's mother was a believer. We see that in First and Second Timothy. Paul describes it uh, at length. And so Timothy was probably brought up, well, he was brought up on the scriptures, probably in synagogue, which is a good thing. But his father was not involved. And they called him then, what they would call him today, a mamzer. Some of you might know that word. It's a street language word. You can Google it later if you like. The idea is that you're a child of a forbidden union with an unbeliever. That was Timothy. It's probably Titus as well. And this is a real setback. And this is something in, that our culture and the church in our culture struggles with mightily today. An epidemic of faithful fatherlessness. But there's, there's, a, there's a point of hope in here too for Timothy and for Titus and for us. They both found a spiritual father in Paul. And Paul often brings up this phrase with Timothy and with Titus. He says it to Timothy too in both of his letters. You are to, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. That just must have brought tears to their eyes to read that. The first thing, the one thing that Paul says about Timothy and Titus, you are a true son. He says that to these young men who did not have believing fathers. So Timothy and Titus found a spiritual father in Paul. And they became true sons in the faith. And after a time of training, this brought Timothy and Titus both to be themselves spiritual leaders. This is a pattern we should follow. True sons and daughters who follow faithful leaders, parents, become good fathers and mothers to others themselves. That's what Titus has become. And we should all be praying for this pattern to take hold in our own lives. I'll be referencing First and Second Timothy quite a bit. There's a lot of overlap. But Second Timothy 2, verse 2 says, The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's what we're after. So, do you want to be responsible for others? Do you know as a parent that you're responsible for your children? Elders are responsible for feeding and guarding a specific flock. And they embrace that role, that responsibility. So that's uh, Titus being a true son. Paul tells him in verse 5, Why did I leave you there in Crete? To set in order things lacking to put things in order. And here it's helpful to consider Paul's ministry for a minute. Paul's entourage comes to a city. Paul preaches the gospel. He brings a new group of believers together. 
And then he picks someone like Timothy or Titus to stay behind a while, to organize the church. And Paul moves on to the next place to do it all over again. That's the basic model that Paul had for ministry. 2 Timothy 4.10 shows that pattern. He, he sends Titus to Dalmatia. He sends Crescens, who we know nothing about, to Galatia. Right? We often think of Paul as a one-man show. But Paul had a team. And he was training young men to do what he did after him. So that's what Paul is doing here. And one of the main jobs for those who are left behind is to appoint elders. Every city, every church needs elders. If you don't have elders, you don't quite have a church. Some things are lacking. And this is so urgent that Paul dives right in here to, to tell Titus who he should appoint, what kind of people. Uh, and so we'll dive right in as well, verses 6 through 9, and spend most of our time there. Uh, so he just kind of breaks off at the end of verse 5. Appoint elders in every city if a man is blameless. So we start with just an if. So the if just tells you these are kind of the qualifications. This is what you should be looking for. So we start with um, blameless or above reproach is probably better. Uh, when you say blameless, we tend to think without sin. Uh, but that can't be the case because then nobody would be qualified to be an elder, right? So the, the word is really that, that you can't be charged with anything, can't be accused of anything, right? That's why above reproach is probably better. Uh, so is the man dealing with the sins and the problems in his life faithfully? Because everybody has to deal with their sins in their life. We're not looking for people uh, who pretend they have no sin. That's another problem. So uh, note first, too, that this is an external qualification. This isn't just uh, the man judging himself, but the community around him is saying, we have no objection. And, and that's important. Uh, so uh, blameless, above reproach. And yeah, like I said just a moment ago, uh, it's not that we're without sin. It's that not that we pretend we have none. You know, when you uh, start dating someone, we often put our best foot forward, we say, right? We act sometimes like we're blameless so that we'll be chosen because we want, we want her to like, like us. We want the guy to like me, right? Well, it's not like that anymore. And there's a cliche out there sometimes, right? Stop dating the church, we say, right? Commit. We're not dating the church anymore. We're committed, and when you're committed, when you're in uh, that kind of marital relationship, this relationship of, uh, of vows and members uh, holding each other accountable, sometimes you need to be willing to put your worst foot forward in order to edify the body and help yourself. Now, I don't mean by that, you know, be a jerk to your spouse whenever you want to. I'm not saying it, I mean that. I mean, hey, I know I do this and that and the other thing sometimes, and I know that's wrong. Please help me be better. Right? Sometimes we need to put our warts out on the table and say, okay, we're not trying to put up a pious facade here. And when we start talking about this list, that can often happen. You know, it's, this is worse than politics, right? Politicians will present an image, project strength that people will follow, right? That's not what we're trying to do when we consider elders in the church. To seek to be blameless does not mean to put up a, a goody two-shoes front. It means to be honest with your failings, to humbly repent when you fail, to seek help when you need it. 
Now, if, if faithful action doesn't follow those things, then you could also have a problem. Uh, so you need to watch out for that too. Uh, some people are good at putting up a front of quote-unquote authenticity, right? And I'm just being honest, and, and that's supposed to be an excuse for the train wreck of their life and their family, right? That's not the kind of man you want as an elder either. So there, there's a, a balance there, but that's the, the idea of being above reproach. The husband of one wife is next there in verse 6. An elder, I don't think, has to be married, but normally would be. Uh, so the idea here is marital fidelity. Uh, some people think that, he, that Paul's talking about polygamy here, but it doesn't seem from the history that polygamy was practiced in Crete. Uh, it, so one commentator says that this would kind of like having on our list today, if you're going to be an elder, you can't be a cannibal. And we're like, well, yeah, of course. So it's kind of like that. I don't think that would that Paul's pointing to polygamy. Um, and it's also doubtful here that Paul means that you've only ever had one wife. You know, if, if your wife dies and you remarry, are you disqualified now? I don't think that's what this verse means either. If his wife leaves him and he remarries, that, is he disqualified then? Well, that, that's tougher. Uh, it's, he's possibly still qualified, but you'd have to work it through. Uh, the point isn't that you have an ultra-pure history. Uh, the point is that you're being faithful in your marriage vows uh, now. So a husband of one wife. Uh, the assumption here, too, is that it's a man, a husband. And we'll look at, get into that now. You notice we read First Timothy 2, and we just started right at that hard verse in verse 11, women need to be silent in the church, right? Now, women are not on the radar in these lists because they are not to be elders or pastors. The same assumption is made about deacons in 1 Timothy 3.11. Uh, there are a few places in the New Testament when, where uh, deaconesses are mentioned. Uh, those are women in a helpful serving role, uh, but they're never uh, in a role of ruling or teaching. And so Paul gets a little bit awkward for us in 1 Timothy Timothy 2 about why. It's awkward in our society today, that is. God made Adam first. He's the head of the woman. She is the helper. Uh, So uh, that's the the design. And so we should have uh, men leading in the church as they're meant to lead in the family. Uh, I consulted my Reformation study Bible on on this one. I didn't do an in-depth study. But the phrase, women will be saved through childbearing, is also a tough one to work through. I thought the Reformation Study Bible did it, did it well. It says, women need instead to focus on their proper role. And childbearing is a convenient symbol for that. It's not saying, of course, that if you don't have children, you, you're not saved. Instead, focus on, on the role that God's given to you, instead of trying to usurp the role that God has given uh, to the men to lead. So this doesn't mean that women aren't as smart or theologically curious as men. They're often more so. Uh, But the elders have a responsibility to do theology so as to lead their families and and their church as well. That's the idea. So husband of one wife. Having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. The idea here is that the children of this man have faith or they believe. Uh, and here again, we have to be careful of the artificial um, 
pictures we can present. Uh, and elders' children don't have to be perfect angels all the time, never tempted to sin at all. That's not at all what's being said. Uh, but how does he deal with the sins that will crop up? Uh, both dissipation and insubordination are words that refer to a deep pattern of life against God. It's not just going off the rails once or, or even for a while. Uh, you know, we all have stories of crazy, weird things that our kids have done or that we did when we were kids, right? Uh, if God uh, kept David on the throne during his Bathsheba incident, it seems he's looking for that kind of faithfulness from leaders in his church today. Deep repentance and change of life, as we see in Psalm 51. So elders ought to have faithful children. He should be managing his house well, is the idea. How is he as a father, as a parent? That's the goal. And I think Numbers 30 applies here. I'm going for a record in my preaching to see how many Sundays in a row I can mention Numbers 30. I think this is the fourth one or the third. I forget now, but I'm, uh, I'll try to keep bringing it up just to make a record here. Numbers, numbers 30 applies again. Uh, that verse 3 especially, that the father is responsible for what the, the daughters or the, the, the wives, um, for the direction, the vows that they take. Right? And, and the, the head of the home can overrule that. The, the head of the home needs to be in charge of the direction, the vows, the resolutions, the act behavior, the actions of those in his house. Dad is accountable for his children spiritually as long as they are in his house. So once they leave, if you have a, a, a man who you're thinking of as elder uh, and he has children that are outside of the home, their spiritual condition is, is less a direct factor than they are when they're in his home. Unless there's an obvious connection that the father's behavior provoked the children to leave the faith that, that sometimes you can see, and then you have questions. So Numbers 30 can apply to this as well, having faithful children. Um, if you, if you're, have your Bible open, turn back with me to 1 Timothy 5. We can... First uh, and Second Timothy are just right there, just before Titus, so we can turn back there fairly easily. And notice First uh, Timothy five nineteen and twenty. I wanted to go into this just a little bit, just just to make it a bit more awkward for us all. <laughs> so verse nineteen: Don't receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. And then verse twenty: Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. That verse has always gave me some trouble. Like, anytime somebody sins in the church, you have to rebuke them in front of everybody? That's not really what Paul's saying. I think it connects to verse 19. The those who are sinning are elders. So there are times when elders are, are flawed, and it becomes a little bit obvious. Oh, he's, he's doing that in his family. Oh, I see. So that's, rebuke them in the presence of all. This is what Paul says. That's a hard word. We almost never see this happen in the church. But Paul says, rebuke them so that um, the rest also may fear. Right? So don't necessarily remove them. Right? If an elder's kind of going off the rails a little bit. Hey, take care of that. Re rebuke that. But don't necessarily remove them yet. 
take an, an awkward example. If an elder's children are, are extremely unruly during the worship service, it might need to be pointed out to everybody. Hey, this officer's family, they're an officer, so they're an example to us. But they're not really in this area. They, they, need, he needs, they need to work on that. Don't do it like he's doing it here. He's got to get better on that. That's tough. <laughs> but that's better than letting the church think we're fine with a poor example of godliness. It's better than removing them too. Because then they can work on improving. They can be an example of growing through correction. Like we all need to do. So that's uh, an area that can come in it can apply when we talk about elders with faithful children. The basic question on that point is, can this man be trusted to father to disciple his children? Do you see anything in the way that he talks or behaves that kind of gives you pause? Like, oh, that might not be healthy for his family if he's like that with them. If so, that's the kind of concern that you'd have as an elder in the church, too. So having faithful children... Let's move along. The next uh, phrase, uh, next, we have a new sentence in verse 7 in Titus 1. For a bishop must be blameless. Brings up blameless again, but also uses the word bishop or overseer. Don't let the word bishop uh, mess with you too much. It's, the Greek just means episkopos, which we get episkopol from. And, and it just means uh, scope above. Overseer is a good literal translation. Right? It's close to the idea of shepherd. Right? A shepherd's taller than the sheep. He, he stands over the flock. He's looking at them all. Notices if anyone's going astray, if anything, anyone's wounded, if anybody needs help. That, that's, that's a shepherd. That's an, that's an overseer. Uh, bishop is the old word for it. So, uh, verse 7, a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. And now I'm going to run through a lot of the rest of these a, a lot faster. Uh, but a steward is dealing with someone else's flock, right? God's. Uh, we remember as elders that the, we talk this way sometimes, like when we go to Presbytery or other, talk with other pastors, my church, our people, right? Well, in a way, kind of, but I, I'm just an under-shepherd. It's really God's flock, right? And, and to keep that in mind is very important. But it's your calling, your responsibility, right? There's, there is a, a covenant connection there. So as a steward of God, not self-willed. Uh, self-willed is an a important word. Uh, the commentary I was reading this week uh, put it this way. Don't think you're so much better than everyone else. Uh, looking down on other people. Always thinking, I'm better. Thinking of your own rights more than how to help others. Um, having a, having a, an inflated ego about your opinions. I, I've, I've read and listened to more podcasts than everybody else in this church. I know more. Kind of, kind of attitude. Want, want to be uh, careful for that kind of posture. Uh, not self-willed, not quick-tempered. Not lashing out at others, in other words. Not given to wine. The word there is simply with wine, like he's always got wine by him all the time. Uh, so, or, and you can apply this to any substance. You know, does, does the man really need that smoke to, or that drink to relax? Sometimes people talk that way. Do you really need coffee to be a decent human? Sometimes we joke about that, right? It's, it's only half a joke. 
If you really need some substance to be a decent person to somebody else, that, there's an issue of self-control there. So, not given to wine. Not violent. The old word is striker or pugnacious. Right? This one we might want to give some extra attention. In our circles these days, we're seeking a restoration of masculine Christianity. Right? And that's a good thing. That often means that you're willing and able to fight well. And a shepherd does have to be able to fight the wolf and protect the flock. That's true. Sometimes an elder or a pastor needs to deliver hard words of, of rebuke or correction and fight faithfully like that. But we, sometimes we get to thinking that, look, if I'm fighting, if I'm angry, I'm being a man. And therefore, I'm being a good Christian man. And that's, that's logic that doesn't follow, right? It ain't always so. Shepherds and fathers are, are gentle and tender far more than they strike out to protect. But they do need to be ready to do both. So not a violent man, not greedy is the next phrase. Elders and deacons find themselves deciding what to do with the church's money. And they shouldn't have ulterior motives to send some of it their way. That's, that's very important. Not, not someone who's greedy. Uh, back in uh, Exodus 18 already, in Numbers 11, uh, God was using those phrases. Uh, not a covetous man. You don't want somebody who's always looking for more. Uh, that's, that's a bad idea. So not greedy. Uh, hospitable instead. Verse 8 turns to positive qualities. Hospitable is one that we focus on in the CREC quite a bit. Uh, elders need to be willing to open their home and their heart to others who uh, don't know them so well. Uh, and that in doing that, we are um, imitating Jesus uh, and God himself and his mercy. Jesus is in heaven right now preparing rooms for us. He's hospitable. He's inviting us into his home. Us. <laughs> Think of that. Uh, we wicked, rebel, unwashed masses have been invited into God's house. It's astounding. It's a picture of the gospel. Um, didn't think to mention this before, but Rosaria Butterfield's book about hospitality, what is it? The gospel comes with a house key, I think. Uh, all about hospitality. Very important. We want to foster a culture of that in our congregation. And elders lead in, in that example, being hospitable. Loving the good is next. A lover of what's good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. We want to love what God loves. In other words, a faithful elder isn't controlled by his desires, but he's actively controlling his time, his body, his resources to do productive good. Now, if you notice, so far in this list... Uh, these are uh, qualifications that any uh, believer ought to be striving for. And that's a major point I want to make this morning. The, the, the office of elder and the qualifications given are not only relevant to uh, you know, the, the smartest among us. These are character qualities that every believer ought to be pursuing. Uh, the, the commentary that I, uh, I actually took it along, if you want to see what I'm drawing from, uh, <clears throat> puts it this way. There are no mountains to climb. No alligators to wrestle, no pilgrimages to make, no ancient manuscripts to decode, no visions to conjure, no tortures to endure. 
Elders are just an example before others. I like to think of it like the, the teacher in school calls you up to the front of the class to do the problem on the blackboard, right? That's the elder. He's the one kind of in front doing it for everybody else to learn from. And so you start doing the problem, you get a step or two wrong, you have to erase and go back and, and, then, and then get it. And everybody in the class is watching and learns from the mistake and learns from what he's doing right. We put certain people in front to be examples. It doesn't mean elders are perfect people. They're not. Put it in golf terms. Elders are not PGA pros and all the rest of us are just amateur hackers. It's not, it's not like that. But, but we are seeking examples. Uh, again, from the, the commentary. Beneath our surface courtesies, many people are burdened by dissatisfying marriages, enslaved to lusts and addictions. And they are desperate for the incarnation of the gospel in the lives of church leaders. I, that really hit home with me. I think it's very true. We, we, we crave mentors. A godly example that shows that by God's grace, freedom from the slavery of sin is possible. Right? Not a perfect life, but freedom from the slavery of sin, faithfulness. But we're coming towards the end. There's two more uh, things that Paul says here in verse 9. Holding fast the faithful word as he's been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and to convict those who contradict. So before this, uh, up to verse 8, through verse 8, frankly, many of you in this room fit the character qualities of this list. But there's also this. Do you hold the Christian worldview in wisdom so that you can proclaim the right truth to the people who need it? This is where we start moving towards the elder's task, and we'll talk more about this next week. Uh, but many of us, we, we get on hobby horses, right? We, we delve into a certain branch of theology or listen to a certain podcast that's interesting. And, th and that's okay. Uh, we, we listen to what we find interesting. Uh, but we, we can just stay there and just be thinking about what we like to think about. But that's not, you know, so you're interested in theology. That doesn't necessarily make a good elder. What makes a good elder is that you've, you've got the whole system uh, fairly well comprehended, and then you know you see people who need help in this certain area, and so you can speak to that, right? Job's friends messed this up royally, right? They asserted truth, actually, most of the time. But it wasn't the truth that Job needed at the time. That, that's what we're talking about here, that kind of wisdom. The goal is to hold all Christian truth in balance and serve it up to people as you see that they need it, not just saying what you want to say. You know, a church member says they aren't sure if they've done enough good to go to heaven. You know what to say to that. Or they say, I'm not sure if my stillborn child is in heaven. There's another truth that you know what to say about that, right? With gentle sensitivity. You know how to tactfully turn a young man's misguided zeal in a more constructive direction. Those kinds of things. That's what a good elder does, a good pastor. And we'll talk more about that next week. I'm just going to close uh, today, though, with uh, the, the more foundational thing, to, to hold fast the faithful word, as it says there in verse 9. That means that you believe the Bible and you apply it to yourself. 
right? Believe the Bible, apply it to yourself. The, the core of the faithful word that Paul references there is the gospel of grace. And I'll come back to that where I sort of began. Uh, you don't rely on your high standard of living, but on God's mercy, right? When, when we start looking around the room uh, to think about who should be our leaders, we can really get to comparing and get legalistic really easily. And I, I'm warning us against that. You know, their children behave better than theirs, and he attends more regularly than they do, and he dresses up more than they do, and that's all misguided. The, the word that you've been taught is a gospel of grace, right? Uh, most of these character qualities that we're discussing, they grow naturally in the life of a believer. It's gospel fruit. So we're not here to, to show others how qualified we are. We are here to have God's truth and grace applied to our own lives. All of us. Everybody needs that. From the pastor who's talking to the elders and the deacons to the littlest child among us. We are all sinners. We all need grace and truth. And what we learn from this text today is that Christians also need a church with elders of good character who can know and teach the Christian faith. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your design in the world, in our bodies, in our families, and in your church. We thank you that you've set your son Jesus Christ as the only king and head of the church, that uh, he paid for uh, the church to be redeemed with his own blood. And we, Lord, look to that standard. It's impossibly high. But, Lord, we seek also to lay down our own lives for your people for our families. Help us, Lord, to sacrifice and to do so wisely, uh, to know how best to give and to provide uh, for our people. We thank you that you have uh, connected us covenantally to one another, that you have given us this opportunity to learn and grow together. Help us to do so with grace and wisdom, uh, with clarity and conviction. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and we sing as he taught us to pray. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I dot com. Again, thank you and blessings.